Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to a very special Frank and Stan chat because this is edition 150. And how appropriate uh, on our 150th uh, edition to have a guest back with us, Russell Harvey. Hello, Russell. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. It's brilliant. Well, this is I'm back. Well, you're breaking new ground here on our 150th because. I think you are the first guest who has come back three times. So clearly we love you and you you must have some sort of respect for us. So uh... Totally. Loads. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. The reciprocity is there. I don't know. Did you see how I laid that on? You couldn't say anything else, but could you? It's like, William, is it all right if I tell you on my third visit that actually, actually, no, I really don't like it. Is that all right? Is that, is that yeah. allowed? Should... You know? I'm just trying to save, salvage my career and really this is not going to do it. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's brilliant. Yeah, thank well, you. thank you so much. I, I do remember once you were on holiday, I think, in was it in Scotland or the Lake Districts or somewhere where you did it? So it was just near, oh, it was near Whitby, uh, Saltburn. Yeah, Saltburn I was in a shepherd, yeah, I was in a shepherd's hut. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, today I'm actually at my parents, <laughs> which is in Buckinghamshire, because I was in London yesterday for work. So, yeah, I think the very first and only time was when I was actually at home in Leeds. <laughs> but it's great to have you back. And really I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be a fourth uh, visit as well. Um, OK, well, uh, an interesting week, uh, just so that everybody knows, because I know some people look back on these. Um, the, the date is the 12th of May. Uh, and this is the the final day of uh, a shortened primary sats week um so just gives you a bit of idea of you know what sort of things we might be chatting about the weather's pretty miserable doesn't feel like summer at all at the moment but uh, anyway um okay uh russell just so there may be one or two people who haven't uh, caught up with you before so do you want to just give a little introduction as to who you are and perhaps how we know perhaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's all behind me, the resilience coach. However, I am a leadership coach and a facilitator, essentially. Um, and um, just think about the fact that when you're sort of leader in schools, in life, in work, if you feel like actually you're wading through treacle and it just things could be better, of like surely it's got to be a better way of doing this, then building your resilience will get you into a better place, help you uh, rediscover your mojo. Uh, so that's what I do, essentially, in all sorts of varieties of different ways. How can you be more optimistic and make much better decisions? That's that's what you come to me for. It is. And actually, uh, Russell and I <clears throat> first met when Russell um, was doing this sort of work or sort of related work in the co-op. And also you were one of the sort of um, the co-op were very keen, continue to be very keen to ask their staff to be engaged in the academy program so i you were a chair of governors weren't you at, uh, i was absolutely it was it was superb it was it was a it was a very interesting lead into the situation i still remember uh you and i frank went to an early meeting and we were setting up the governing body and you turned to me and, and said well so do you fancy being vice chair and and I was like, I thought I was just coming for that. And then I think about it was a week later, I was chair, I think. <laughs> That's ringing some bells, Russell. It, it, it. <laughs> I think I, I was at, I was at the cricket and, and bribed with a couple of pints. You like lemmings, you know. Yes, absolutely, yeah. But six years, and it was brilliant. It was yeah. absolutely amazing. Six years, I, and I just. Uh, yeah, really enjoy it. Every time I look back on it, it was a wonderful thing to do. And I think, uh, I, I mean, 
the, the, we haven't identified the school, but I have to say that that school made such massive strides, you know, and it, it wasn't, you know, all down to you, Russell, no. but actually, you know, playing that part and moving the school forward and to actually sort of see, you know, it, it continued to move forward is a, is a real treat, you know. Um, so, yeah, thank you. What you Thank you for what you did. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah. So anyway, um, Stan, what's caught your eye this week? Um, the Speaker of the House of Commons. Um, <laughs> local boy. <laughs> Surely. Uh, MP. Um, this week he lost his temper at some procedural... It wasn't procedural, but somebody had not, not followed the rules properly. And he lost his temper, I think, by the the fact that it, there was a sort of an arrogant response as if he didn't matter and he, he he lost his temper and a lot of people have looked at that and said good it's about it's about time but actually if you watch his performance he is like the supply teacher who who doesn't really know how to keep the, the children in order and threatens all kinds of threats that that can't be carried out and i really think he needs somebody with an arm round his shoulder to say if you're going to threaten to send somebody out to get a cup of tea or whatever you say, do it. Yeah. Don't just keep threatening it because oh, it true. doesn't work. The same with any teacher who, who threatens. In fact, a different subject. I was in the Trafford Centre this week and heard a parent whose child was crying say to the child, right, well, if you carry on crying, that man's going to come and he'll take you away and we won't be able to see you <laughs> till tomorrow. And I thought, wow. <laughs> oh, dear. How much of that are you going to carry through? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's just it's that bit of it needs discipline in the in the House of of, of Commons, but it needs it doing properly. And and to to say laughingly, you'll have to you'll miss out on the next speech by over by talking, or you're not talking. You know, no action as a result and it just weakens the whole thing and I, mm. I do think you can see that in some schools that even at leadership level if people aren't following the rules whatever your philosophy is you have to put your foot down at some point and say no these are what we've agreed to do this is the way we work you need to come into the way we're working i think that go on russ what are you going to say so i was just to realize of like so the lovely, wonderful, gorgeous words of performance management just jumped into my head at that moment in time, because that's so much of my work as well around, actually, some behaviours in the workplace, you know, aren't great. Or we're frustrated with the fact that some people actually don't do the job very well. And I'll always come along and say, so who's tackling it? Mm. Who's who's talking about it? who's giving them the feedback? Who is mm. support and positive challenge? It's not. So performance management should be. Two of the most interesting, exciting, motivating words in the English language. However, <laughs> if anybody that's listening now, and every time I ever go into any place and go performance management, everybody goes, "Oh God," yeah. you know. And it's just, yeah. So it's it's for me. I was just suddenly realised it's just that tackling of like it's a behaviour. Challenge it, you know. Mm. Understand that there's consequences. Call it out, and you know where necessary, provide the support. Or if somebody's not willing to do it, just have that lovely question of like, so if you choose to continue to behave in this way, what do you think the consequences will be? Yeah, I I, I have to say the issue here, though, is um, uh, repeated failures, isn't yeah. it, of, 
of prime ministers who actually are responsible. They're like the head teacher of that cabinet. One of the cabinet members has actually broken um, a pretty important rule, but actually they've been allowed to break it because the government have actually leaked or have actually given the story to the Telegraph, which is the issue that annoyed the the, um, the uh, uh, Chorley MP, you know, yesterday. And and the thing is, is that it, that's continuing to happen. And and in a way, there is a, the, the heart of this is a a lack of respect for for parliamentary authority, you know. And in effect, and for me, you know, it goes back to the fact that the prime minister, the prime minister at the time, Boris Johnson, lied to the Queen to prorogue Parliament. Gives you a sense of where this government and previous recent governments feel how important Parliament is to them. And yeah. this is another example. And and you're right, Stan. It, you know, whatever he has done, he has not been successful in addressing the weakness and it's not a recent thing is it it's been going on no no there's been several there's been several ministers been pulled up for this for the same thing and prime ministers in fact ironically i walked past the building yesterday came out of westminster tube station because i was at uh st thomas's hospital for work where i think mr johnson was taken when he was ill he was yeah yeah allegedly You've got to be careful, really, folks, haven't you? <laughs> it could get to a point where this is not a real discussion. Oh, this is this this has happened five years ago, and we just sort of all, you know, yeah, it, a, a minister this week who who's been called out for telling telling a straight lie to the camera on a news program, and he's still in his job. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The, that's where the discipline lies. Yeah. But it, but it takes good journalists, doesn't it, to 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 know their brief and to actually sort of push back, um, because there are too many examples where, um, yeah, and you know, it's, it's yeah, it's proper journalism, and there are people who are alleged alleged journalists doing journalistic work yeah. who actually are not proper journalists. You know, in effect, there is a a training and a uh, an understanding. There's you know, you need to know your brief very well. You know, yeah. and there are people sort of just playing at it a bit, really. And when you get Channel 4 News, you know, the guy there knew his stuff, didn't he? Yeah. Not going to let him get away with it. You know, no. I, I, we know of, we know of uh, journalists or uh, people on the news who would just let that ride along, you know, because mm. they didn't really understand it. It seemed it seemed like a reasonable answer. No. The, the thing that struck me about walking past Parliament yesterday was just the fact that, and I did it, just came out of um tube station and just looked to my right and it was just that wow moment about the building and just like you know from a an english mm-hmm. point of view just all of our history kind of the moment around okay this is significant this is important used to be held up as a bastion of democracy mm-hmm. you know that's had, that's had a battering recently and so many people from different nationalities on westminster bridge looking at it you know, talking about it. Yes, there's obviously taking pictures, but there was a fair bit more of people just standing there staring at it. Yeah. You know, there was the quick selfie, but it wasn't selfie and move on. It was like, there's something about this that is important, that mm. is relevant, that mm. we need to sort of take in. So, yes, so, you know, and the fact that people are choosing to disrespect it, yes. you know, who are in it and it's part of their role, that just, you know, it's a really difficult pill to swallow. I agree. Mm. 
Okay, well, that, that's a good start, isn't it, Stan? <laughs> <laughs> Russell, what's caught your eye this week? Right, well, yes, you might need to search around for it, but the, the Science Journal. So I've been trying to do a, a bit more about, you know, are there a variety of ways in which you can look at the news? You know, uh, it, you just, you know, because you can look at the news sometimes and get into a tailspin. So in the resiliency side of things, you know, got to be realistic. Uh, so there's something I signed up for called the Progress Network, and one of the many articles that came up is the science news so small acts of kindness are frequent and universal a study finds brand new study from the university of um in uh, ucla it sort of said actually do you know what across the world across cultures yeah. all day every day people are just being asked to or, or are offering to just do small acts of kindness from everything with like pass me this can you just help me with this or i'm just struggling with this or can you just do that for me and it's something you know like 80 90 percent of the time human beings go yeah okay and this one i noticed the few times that people review uh, refused then they gave a specific reason why they couldn't do it so it wasn't just no get lost it was a case of no, I can't because. So they needed to explain why they couldn't do that little act of kindness in that moment in time. Um, so I'm just absolutely of the view uh, around the kindness acts. Uh, you know, you could um, you need to build upon that. So it's the little small acts of kindness. And for me, around the resiliency piece, one of the many things that enables you to be resilient is this whole thing about openness and curiosity. I always keep sort of asking the question, okay, so how can I, how can others just be more open, more curious, just to see what's going on, other people's points of view, trying to accept things that we just really struggle with, you know, okay, can I be kind, can I, you know, (laughs) around this. But it's just this latest study sort of saying, yeah, acts of kindness are completely universal. And I was also reminded um, I just saw a random clip on social media. I think Bear Grylls, so he's chief scout. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, be kind is one of his things. Clearly somebody, uh, uh, an, a question from the audience, and he was telling a story about when he was in the service in a really difficult place and they had to sort of be walking in the desert and they're running out of water and they were down to sort of just doing a cap full of water, you know, every so often. And he says, I was struggling. And my, you know, my mate gave me his last cupful of water. And he said, the water was irrelevant. We were done for, dehydrated. But he says, the thing that got me through was his act of kindness, yeah. you know. So he did a complete look in the camera of like, just remember, be kind, always. So yeah. it's universal across cultures. There's there's a book, I think I've got the book uh, somewhere here. You, 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 you can't see it. Yeah, Shine, called Helping. Uh-huh. And what he looks at is the difficult part of saying thank you to when people are kind to you. Uh-huh. And he said, because what happens if you're not careful is money comes into it. And the moment money comes into it, kindness disappears. And he said, for example, if somebody offered to babysit for you, if you then said, you know, well, thanks, that's great. you know, But if you said, right, I'll pay you £15 for doing that. You would actually insult them and the the kindness bit would go. And the book's about how do I say thank you and mean it without bringing uh, some sort of of, contribution to it that would insult 
And he talks about any kind of job that a, a neighbour might come and do. You know, your car won't start and a neighbour comes and, and gets it running and, and you go, right, well, that, that must be worth £35. Here you go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know you, your kindness bit has got to be without expecting anything back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other than maybe some, re- you know, some kindness back to you at a, a different stage or a different time. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's baked into us to sort of cooperate. So let, let's build upon yeah. that. There are too many people that are trying to divide us. So yet another study has said, actually, do you know what? We're just naturally here to want to do something for others and, and to cooperate. And what you were just talking about, Stan, is linked to sort of a lot of stuff around research. So in the workplace... Um, when somebody, you know, is motivated to do a job and they're doing it well and they get promoted or they get paid more money for something that they love doing, their performance dips. Yeah. I, and, it's, and you just, it, and you just, yeah, it's so, it's so that's a, it's a balance to strike essentially because mm. it isn't a case of everybody, you know, listening to this who just want, doesn't want to just turn up to work for not get paid for it. It's yeah. not about that. Oh. It's just a case of actually, I really love doing this. And now that you've come along and put all these criteria around it, my love for it is gone. Yeah. And I think it also, the same kind of research also shows that if your job is quite complex, actually rewarding you with, with money has no impact on Europe. So the idea that bankers need big bonuses it is absolutely <clears throat> wrong. Yeah. yeah. But when you talk to people who are involved in that, all they want to do it's not how much money, it's as long as they're getting more money than the person in the next desk. That, that's what theirs is about. Not, I need to I need to earn a million pounds a year, mm. but if he's earning 100,000, I need to be slightly more than, than that. Yeah. And it, it's a weird relationship. But well, that, well, that research is fascinating, Russell, because it, as, as they reward people more, their performance drops. I know. Yeah. Unless it's a very simple, repetitive task. In which case, it it does work. When you were talking about kindness, um, and it's not, I don't think it's directly related to the point you were making, I was drawn to a teacher that um, was a supply teacher um, at the first school I was a head teacher of. And it was a really, I'd I'd got, there was no Ofsted in those days, but if there was, it wouldn't wouldn't have been a good finding, you know. Um, But we had a particular class that had had sort of variety of, uh, teachers some of them were uh, one one teacher they'd had in particular permanent member staff um w- was found to you know be drinking alcohol on the premises so it was really difficult and this this teacher came in and she looked so frail and um sort of not not imposing but the one card she had was that she was really kind and the children had had such a difficult period you know that basically what they they needed was kindness you know somebody who who exuded that sort of feeling of niceness you know of you know i'm on your side sort of thing it was and it wasn't and it, it and and because she was quite a deeply christian woman it was within her being you know what i mean it was everything for her yeah. um and she turned that class around um yeah. you know, but it was not a dynamic you know kind of come in all everything firing you know but it was just she just moved in and and kindness moved in with her and everything she did demonstrated to the children that she was going to be very different and she was somebody that that genuinely would love them at the end of this and they just bought into it 
Yeah. We never had discipline issues in that in that class ever, you know, because she she never raised a voice. She was just moved moved around the place. Just everything was managed so that the children felt loved. You've got I my suspect... favourite subject in a minute, Frank. It's the culture of yeah. the created. <laughs> but it's strange. It, it wasn't as if she had any sort of any anything other than her presence. You know, it was just within her. But uh, and, and we, we've had that... teachers like that. We've worked with together, Russell, at the school, yeah. primary school, where actually they've just got loads of love in them, and they just yeah. give it. You know. No, sorry, I was going to say I suspect in all of this that she was highly supportive. So within all of this as well, because um, you know we're in the public sector, caring profession, doing for others. But I always talk to loads of my clients in that sector around just what's the difference between support and help. So I suspect that she was highly supportive, mm. you know, and so the helping bit is the fact that, you know, where does the ownership and responsibility lie for the behavior change? If you're helping, then you want to do it. It's on you. It's not on the other person. When you're supporting, it's more on the other person, but they feel as though they can do it. Um, and so the, for me, make sure the kindness strikes a right balance between wow. when to help and when to support. So you don't realize, do you, what you trigger I remember that like mentoring and, and coaching. Is that similar to the difference between? Yes, it could, yes, that would be part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, it's, it's made me go back. I <clears throat> listening to um, uh, uh, Alistair Campbell last night on Newsnight. Lost his rag a little bit um, about Brexit, and I have to say, going back to that teacher, <clears throat> lost my rag in a staff meeting um, because something terrible happened, and I. On a bad day and whatever, you know, I, I, I clearly shouldn't have lost my rag with the staff, you know, but I did. Um, but this uh, member of staff spoke up and just said, you know, that this was a little bit out of character. And that actually, you know, when you've spoken to staff previously, you know, you've probably been more effective because of the way you've done it. Wow. And I, I at the time... <laughs> Yeah, it was really taken down from my perch, but in a very um, kind way. Kind way, you yeah. Know? And and actually, it was within her character the way she was managing that, and then she was right to to call it out because I I wasn't functioning at, at the at the sort of professional level. Um, you know, it may well have been that was it that day that I found the gin bottles in the cistern. Was it that day? I think it might have been, <laughs> but um, you know. Anyway, so it was. But those... isn't it also, Frank? When when you get to that point where you, where you lose your temper, and, and I can only remember doing it once as a head, really losing my rag with the staff. Afterwards, I'd set I'd set the standard. Yes. That I I wasn't prepared to go beyond. It was it was about staff falling out with each other, and I mm. I snapped and said, "I'm not going to work in it." you know, an organisation like that. It's not how I work. It's not how I want it to work. Yeah. Showed, went, went back to my office and thought, right, that's me done. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, when I look back on it, it, it was at a point at which I kind of started to set the culture. It was early in my career, but it was to say that kind of behaviour that you are exhibiting, I'm not, I'm not happy with. Mm. I mean, maybe I could have done that better but i'm i'm not sure i could i think <clears throat> seeing seeing somebody who's normally very calm and 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 collected yeah snap over something makes people think wow it it, it really you know as if we go back then to the uh 
to the House of Commons yesterday, you know, that what hit the headline was him actually losing his temper rather than... <laughs> his, his but dis- whether it was effective, we will only yeah, know. Yeah, we won't know. Um, what, what's caught my eye? <clears throat> I'm on a little trail here because um, um, just it's Sats Week and there's been quite a lot of press about how difficult some of these Sats papers have been. And I recall, is it three or four weeks ago, um, being quoted in the Sunday Times because um, I'd written on behalf of the Northern Powers Partnership to Joe Saxton, the CEO of Ofqual, just saying there's just been far too much instability. Um, that whether that's you know strike action, COVID, whatever it may be, attendance levels, you know, all of this stuff. That actually the idea that we can go back to academic standards the way they were in 2019 which is what's going to happen, you know, seems misguided. Um, and so in effect, what happened was um, children this week have experienced a pretty challenging set of SATS papers because there's a desire to get back to, you know, previous levels or, you know, to, but actually there's, there's clear evidence at the moment that children are not, where they were in 2019, particularly in mathematics. You know, I mean, children at the end of Key Stage 2, uh, the research is making that pretty clear. So what we've done is we've created a system where we're going to end up with probably more children feeling as though they've failed, you know, who haven't met the required standard, unless there's some deviation, some variation made in the the pass mark. Um, But what we mustn't do is have an assessment system that ends up with children just being drilled into passing exams. And, you know, it's so sad. I'm sure in schools next week, primary schools will be, year six will be rocking. They will be doing all the stuff that the teachers have probably wanted to do for the last nine months and not been able to do. And uh, it made me then go, uh, so back to a guest of ours called uh, Liz Robinson, uh, who's been on here a couple of times. And she has an article um, with a colleague in the latest um, edition of Impact, which is from the Chartered College. And her article, um, which is mentioned many times before on our show, about an education of the head, heart and hand. Um, you know, she just explains the work that she's doing in that area. But it's really taken with um, the work that she's doing to focus the curriculum and the, the, what we offer to, to children. And she talks about you know, designing the right thing. And what we've got here is a national accountability framework that is not the right thing. It's not been designed to help the children. It's been designed to judge the schools. And we're also not designing things right. So, you know, we've got year six teachers feeling as though what we've got to do is hothouse the kids to get a certain level in these tests because actually the government's created this monster. And what's happening now is the children are bailing out. Yeah, so who, you know, how many year, 11, uh, year uh, six children, 11-year-olds, will say at the end of this, I'm not very good at mathematics? Mm. How many of them will actually... And the, and the Prime Minister wants us all to be doing mathematics for much longer. But he, he's not, he needs to come down to this level to understand what the system is Design is is producing. You know what the bailout of this is, and I've made this point before that in year four we have these times table um, checks, and in so year four, 
there are children now who can't do those tables as quickly as they are supposed to, who will immediately think, because I can't do that, I'm not very good at maths. Yeah. And, and it's all built in this over time. So it's identifying weakness and failure all along the line so that actually we end up with a curriculum which is just driven into trying to reduce that down when in fact we've got a, an economy today the economy grew in march um by 0.1 percent and businesses crying out for for young people to join them with the right skills they never talk about knowledge yeah they talk about have yeah. these people got the right skills and actually, we've got a, a government that ignores the skills agenda, and we have a school system that's not designed to deliver that. I mean, I, I live in Cheadle Hume. I can get you, um, I can probably go down our road and find people with 2122 degrees in history, sociology, philosophy. Can we get a, a bloody plumber? We can't get a plumber for love nor money. There's not a plumber, you know. The, the, and, and all of this actually affects the economy, doesn't it? So we've it got we, we've got children going back to head, hand, heart. We've got children who really, you know, of course we need they need to, to do as well in their mathematics as they possibly can, but they need to be able to do well in in, in be taught how to cut a piece of wood. Yeah, they need to be able to solder. They need to be able to do lots of other things. Design <laughs> design apps, yeah. you know. But it's not built into the education system to do that sort of exciting stuff that kids would be real. And then they think, sorry, I'm rabbiting on now. But if they were, <laughs> but if they were actually doing some practical work, the practical mathematics about angles becomes oh, Absolutely. because I tell you now, I I didn't really understand percentages until I got a, a job in a bank. Mm. I had to learn percentages. Because I would I'd probably lose my job if I did the calculation wrong. Yeah. So I quickly learned that, and it was very easy um, because I was able to apply it. Yeah. You know, I just don't well, know where we're going with with this. I always think back, Frank, to my early teaching days. Sorry, um, it's another no, Frank rant. I'm really what? sorry. Yeah, uh, lot who who were gifted in things like art, uh, music, and dance and drama. And and those areas have have been closed down virtually, yeah. especially in year six. So if those are your real strengths, you, you're, yeah. you're frustrated because the one thing you can show that you can do, you know, best in class, you don't get that opportunity. No. And And, you know, if you're not good at maths and English, but you're really good at art, what's your curriculum? More maths, more English until yeah. you're good at it. Right, and this permeates all into so it keeps me in a job essentially because yeah. the huge <laughs> amounts of things that I do with a lot of my clients is the you know, the lovely thing of taking a strengths based approach. But so you spend all of your time, you know, with leadership and line management programs. Do you know what you're good at and you enjoy doing? You know, yes. so and that for a lot of people is like, oh, I've never really even had to think about that. I sort of just do stuff. Some days of the week I'm all right, and some days I'm like, God, this is painful. So it is really so nicely. It is quite often a light bulb moment for a lot of clients and organisations. Okay, well, actually, if you just could you just go to your people and say, out of all this stuff you can do, yeah. if you could wave your magic wand and go, what which bits do you love? And you were allowed to do those more often than the other bits. What would that? 
well, that would be brilliant. That would be marvellous. Why, why, why? And some people have turned around and said, I'm literally going to take the whole function of the department that I'm overseeing and I'm going to just swap it all to that principle. Yeah, yeah. because you might find there's somebody who hates doing all the statistics, but sitting next to them is somebody who that's their favourite thing. And, <laughs> this is and it. You've got them both in the it. wrong boxes. This is but it. I, I just, I, I mean, I do. I, think a lot about the story we talked about it briefly last week the focusing on strengths rather than focusing on weaknesses but i found when I, when i try to do that with teachers if you ask teachers what they're good at they can't finish the sentence without a but but yeah, yeah. So but it took me a while say, well i'm not bad at this but i'm not really yeah, as good. Yeah, yeah. well i, I think it. in my small way when i was chair of governors i, I, I literally went in with i'm gonna have a go at influencing the culture of the school around the strengths-based approach it, t- it took it took years because everywhere i went and everybody that i spoke to and i know i had the chair of governors label with me i know that uh, and i just used to go to everybody and go so what's going well you know and they would literally tell me the opposite you know this is what i'm trying to improve which i understood which i get because of the education culture and i would just always smile and go that's brilliant but my question was what's going well but it took it took two or three years before people would see me coming and they would immediately go, Russell wants to know what's going well, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we got there, you know, in some way, shape or form. It wasn't perfect because we were plowing a, a, plowing a furrow against the standard norm of like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, you know, yeah. however, um, we managed to sort of push back against it. So you, I get it. Uh, Stan, I really do. Yeah, it's just ingrained to sort of go. But it was yeah. at the uh, select committee yesterday. There was um, three colleagues were uh, in front of a, uh, the select committee looking at the um, basically the, the the economy in a way. Why why weren't skills sort of driving through? And and it, they were actually talking about design technology and the number of uh, young people studying design technology is falling through the floor at the moment. Um, and when you think about it, those two words, design and technology, that's the future of our economy, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those yeah. two words sum up what, you know, that will be paying for your pension, Russell, in the future. I know. So some young person who's good at design and good at technology is going to come up with something that's going to change the world. Yeah. It's more likely to be in that area than it is in some of the areas that young people are being forced to study even yeah. though they know they're they're not very good at it well, we haven't even mentioned two letters yet of a and i, yeah, a and, no. I. I know. and it's just like okay all right yeah. where's that well, gonna go i had part of that discussion yesterday because my son sent me a, a piece of music and it was the beatles singing oasis songs which oh, clearly wow. can't have worked <laughs> can't have happened <laughs> but if you listen to it you go yeah, that that's the Beatles, and yes, they are singing. Oasis, and, and it's it doesn't exist. It's it's an AI produced piece. Wow, of music. wow, gosh, it well, really is well. quite scary about where that will go. <laughs> yeah, that, for another for another day. For yeah, another day. but don't worry, children. In year six, you know, you still got to do your handwriting. You still got your spag. Yeah. You know, don't worry, folks. That's really going to change the world, isn't it? Um, anyway, um, mm-hmm. Russell, at the end of yes. the we ask our guests to come up with a proposal that will ch- improve education. I think we've probably had a few today, but have you got one on top of the ones that we've been suggesting? 
Well, yeah, so if I could wave my magic wand in the whole of the education system, it is baking, um, educating people around optimism, resilience and well-being. So I know that I am biased around all of that. However, um, because of all of the things we've talked about today, it's the cold, hard reality that life isn't fair. However, there are ways in which you can accept that with good grace and with really understanding what optimism is. And I'll clarify if I need to in a second. And the intertwining of resilience and well-being, there's just a multitude of skills. Talked about skills, a multitude of skills and mindset and behaviours that can actually put human beings into a really great place to go, do you know what? There are all of these challenges However, it's been baked into my whole education experience that this is how I'm going to face into them. And actually, do you know what? I can do something about them. Uh, That There is a possibility. There is opportunity. You know, we are able to. So optimism is grounded in reality. Okay, Uh, And uh, you really understand the challenges that that you face. However, you've got great knowledge with the experiences, strengths, skills, capabilities, attitude, mindset, behaviours that you have and the people around you have. You go, do you know what? I genuinely believe and I'm hopeful we can face into them and sort them out. That's optimism. And as a result of that, you get feelings of positivity. So it's not. It's not be positive. That's not what I mean. Yeah. Okay. The positivity comes later. Positive mental attitude is awesome. I'm not dissing it. They're all completely intertwined. But I'm just like, people listen to this. Just, just go optimism first. And then that's where you'll get to your, yeah, you know, feelings of positivity. So if I ruled the world, I would bake that into the education system. And if, if there are head teachers or CEOs or senior leaders in other professions watching this or listening to this, um it, you know uh russell's the man to go to uh you are doing work aren't you in not just in education it's sort of because you weren't actually in education initially were you so it's sort of something that came no to- no so it is it's all sectors so a public private mutual all sectors so yes i was in nhs yesterday i was with pharmacy companies the other week um uh, there's banking industry there's insurance there's retail it's just yeah it's whoever makes an inquiry or sort of said i've seen you and it's like yeah so it doesn't matter because it's what industry is because it's about human behavior yeah yeah yeah. well um thank you very much for your time russell and uh, very welcome um i've really enjoyed the chat uh and i'm again i I, i've got to an age now i just seem to sort of rant I, i just reflect i probably ranted before but never quite noticed it as much but uh, i apologize if uh if, if i sort of lost it a little bit on the primary experience for children in year six uh, i just don't think it's uh it's good enough. i think it's warranted you know i think that's huge swathes of the population are feeling it mm. you know they'll all they'll all be nodding on and listening and going yep yeah, i agree frank so yeah but, yeah it's just a shame isn't it like the point you're making about the secretary of state you know um and the government just read the room society is asking for something slightly better than this so it is going back to though with all of that of having a rant the question i ask my clients all the time is okay and how optimistic do you feel Mm. about doing something about it and if you don't then there's some stuff to do if you do then you'll go do something about it Mm. i think the reason why i carry on 
doing this work is because I feel as though I, I feel privileged to have a, a, a in, in, insights into this and and access to people that could change it. I mean, I, I have to say, when you're working, and we all work on our own um, quite a lot, it's easy to sort of get a bit despondent about it, you know, to feel as though, well, you know, where, where are we going with this? Um, but actually, uh, you know, you do get to a point where you think, I'm not going to let the buggers win. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that just drives me on. But anyway, yeah. is that the Absolutely. same for you, Stan? Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm not sure whether this was a Dalai Lama quote who said, if you, if you think um, you're too small or too single to make a difference, think of a mosquito in the tent. <laughs> uh, and on that uh, on those wise words we'll end the 150th edition of the frankenstein chat so thank you very much russell thank and you russell, uh, we'll arrange for you to come back in 2024 all being well okay brilliant take care bye-bye everybody bye